Jesus and the Eleven are passing through the eastern streets of Jerusalem, walking toward the East Gate. They are carrying the food and ground cover to make up a picnic. They are planning to go up the Mount of Olives to a garden just below Gethsemane. The idea for the picnic just seemed to occur to all of them out of the blue. They are passing through the milling crowds of Jerusalem in the streets, men, women, and children going about the busynesses attendant upon everyday human normalcy. They come to the straight street leading out through the East Gate. They all breathe deeply, almost immediately, of the fresher-seeming air just outside the city walls. Two things for the listener to know at this point in our description. Forty mornings ago, Jesus was dead in a tomb. In approximately 90 minutes, he will levitate skyward back to the throne room of heaven. His friends, the disciples, obviously know the former fact, not quite naturally the latter one. They follow a downward switchbacking footpath below the eastern walls of the city toward the Kidron stream. Everyone is chatting amongst themselves. At the water's edge, they regrip the loads of foods and blankets they carry, and then, each of them being careful, cross the stream on the dry tops of rocks baked by the morning sun. On the opposite bank, they begin climbing the upward trail. The trail moves in and out of sparse, then thick sections of foliage. The sunlight glints and glimmers through the overhanging olive tree branches. Some of the disciples are even paying enough attention to notice the peculiar spots of coolness in the shadiest spots, like an unexpected breath from somewhere else. That sensation transports Jesus. He walks along with his friends, but now lost in a memory. In this ancient memory, he is walking along a footpath through the trees, surrounded by the perfections of bright flowers, singing birds, fresh cool air. He is delighted to be where he is and where he is going. He is walking happily through the newnesses of his new creation. And he remembers how it felt. How the realization of something being wrong began to occur to him. As he noticed the absence of the man and the woman. He called out to them, Where are you? The voice of Adam answered, hidden somewhere in the trees. I heard you coming and it startled me, for I'm naked, and so I hid myself. The heart of the Word, the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, broke in the moment of that first confession. He took a step forward toward the tree line. 
Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the fruit of that tree? And as Adam opens his mouth to utter the first word of blame, of prevarication ever spoken, the word, God, Jesus, stands in perfect silence. He looks around the perfections of all he'd made and feels the endless outward ripplings of evil and feels a tremendous sadness. And yet, and yet, on this later day of days, on this casual walk up the pathway toward the garden 40 days after the resurrection, the very same word smiles to himself. This God who'd first gone walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the one sin sinned against, is preparing to take his ultimate victory back to the throne room. He will return to heaven, having redeemed not only the original act, but also its endless fallout, bringing with him a human self, perfect, the template of templates. He will go walking again, this time into the place of unending perfection, and he will invite his friends to come walking with him there. They are almost to the place of the Ascension Day picnic. Jesus is still smiling to himself. His friends have hardly noticed. Well, my friends, in the last episode, we talked about the power of the ascension from the perspective of Jesus being the creator God, how his timelessness, his perfection became intertwined with our humanity and its imperfection, and how returning to the throne room, he was completing the work of our new life. He was the God who'd made everything and then made it all new. Well, in this episode, this is our next step in understanding the ascension. That Jesus, as the friend of humanity right from the very beginning, and yet the one sin had sinned against right from our first disobedience, had remained our perfect friend. The one who came to walk with us so that we, in turn, may follow him and walk with him. And not just walk with him during the days of our brief human lives. No. Like him, we have been invited to partake of the very experience of the fatherhood, the friendship of God, and because of him, to follow him back unto heaven itself. You see, our friend's ascension is the first of a pattern for his friends. We may follow him all life long and then go further. I was reminded this week of the near poetry of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church and the way that he describes the ascension, its meaning, and our point of access. Listen, Paul prays. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. There's the ascension. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If you'd like to look back at that, that's the ending of Ephesians 1. Friends, I would say listening to all that, for me reading through all that, a couple of questions are begged. One, How does the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, how do we together become the body of the ascended Christ? And two, what will be the highest purpose in the lives of the friends of Jesus? How will we live these lives properly in view of his ascension? Well, I think the answer to both is woven backward through that prayer. We must be filled by him, letting him take the lead as the only head of the body, obsessed with the wondrous name of Jesus. He who rules at the right hand of the Father, he who is alive forevermore because of the power of our Father God. Personally empowered, by the power of the Spirit, basking daily, minute by minute, in the riches of our glorious inheritance, filled through and through with the living hope that is Him. Eyes ever open, available for illumination. For what? That we may know Him better. The life of the body will always be defined By knowing Jesus, knowing our ascended living friend. The highest purpose available to all humanity is knowing Jesus, coming into alignment with the friend who still wants to walk with us. What do you say?